Hi, this is Pastor Tim Crick, and you are listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, a part of the ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us online at www.htelc.com. We worship on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m., where you are never too late and there is always room for one more. We hope you can join us sometime, and we hope you find the sermon you're about to listen to helps you to understand and experience the depths of God's love for you and the entire world. Thanks for listening. And we continue our service with the reading. The first reading comes from James, the third chapter, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters. For you who know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships, though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet if it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of bird, beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species. But no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. Word of God, word of life. You may stand as you are able. I'm not going to preach from that passage, although I'll be honest, as a teacher, the one who speaks up front... I feel like it preaches to me every time I read it. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 8, 27 through 38. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed in three days, rise again. He said all this quite openly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, 
If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. To make it easier to speak during the sermon, so you can hear me clearly, I'll take off my mask during it, and after I'm done, when I return to my seat, I will put it back on. Remember when I was on internship, my supervisor was a pastor named Doug Bisbee. Doug and I really got along well, and we'd meet every Monday morning. Uh, in his office, just to talk about what has gone on and what's going on, what's coming up, and uh, just kind of talk through things. What questions might I have, or what insight can he give? I remember after I'd been there a little bit and I'd preached a few times, I said, I feel like I'm almost saying the same thing over and over again. And he said, Tim, let me tell you a secret. I feel like I really only have maybe seven sermons in me. All I'm trying to do is repackage them so people can hear those things over and over again. Because really when it comes down to it, not that there isn't it's so much that needs to be said, but when you boil it down to the essence, um, that's what we want to get to the heart of each time. And so we need to hear those same things over and over. And I had another friend who's a pastor. And we were talking about, do you ever share the same stories? Do you feel like you're repeating yourself? And he's like, you know what? He's like, his supervisor had told him this when he was on an internship. He said, it's okay to retell stories. He's like, I eat the, how many people eat the same meal more than once? Anybody reread the book that you've already read? Watch a movie more than one time. Why do we do those things? We like them. They're good, right? When we hear it again, it might be the exact same thing that the author or the TV show or whatever is presenting to us, but we might hear something different. And as I share this because as I come to this passage, oftentimes I try and find a different angle because we, right, we're on a three-year cycle of the lectionary. I want to come at it from a different way and try and have something new to say. Not only do I not want to bore you, I don't want to bore myself. But every time I hear this passage, I keep coming back to the same thing. I can't get away and find, I guess, something new to say. It keeps following through the same thing. So I, I guess I'm saying, if you've heard me say what I'm about to say, I'm sorry. But I hope maybe you hear something new in it. Does that make sense? First, this bottom part. Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. How many people get a pit, of a pit in their stomach when they hear that? Ugh. It almost feels like I could stay on this point and stand up here and wag my finger at everybody, right? 
You better have the right answer to the right question when you are asked otherwise. This is what's going to happen to you in the future, right? It can easily go that way. I do want to preface it with this. I'm not saying that's a wrong interpretation of it. And is that the only thing we read about in the Bible, about Scripture and how God feels about us? If you're ever worried about, right, and somebody comes, but the Bible says this, a very Lutheran answer is to say yes, and the Bible also says, does that make sense? I think what we need to understand, the Bible isn't a coherent line of thinking, I guess, as much as we think it is. There are different viewpoints. It's written by different authors that have different ideas that convey different things. Yes, there is an overarching narrative that is going on, and you have different people saying different things throughout. So while this sounds very judgmental, we also need to remember, Psalms talk about we have a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We also have Paul talking about, right, all things will be made new. When he uses that word, all things, it literally means all things. It doesn't mean just some things. It means all things. And then with our Lutheran understanding of what Christianity is, if all of a sudden my theology is I need to have the right answer when it comes to the appropriated time, have I really given the right answer? Do I really love God? How do I know? If I've given the answer and I'm still alive, what do I do to show that I Right? All of a sudden it kind of spirals into and how do I know this was Luther's whole thing? If it's dependent on me and what I say or what I do, how can I ever be really sure? Because he is known for, uh, he would go into confession, he'd stay there for hours, he'd walk out, and literally he would turn around and walk right back in and stay there for another couple hours, continually confess, because how do I know? And so a Lutheran understanding of Christianity is we just trust. God saves, we serve. We are not perfect. Peter waffled, right? Here we have, you are the Messiah. And then after he's crucified, what does Peter do? Deny. So where does Peter stand? What happens if Peter would have died at a certain point? You know what I mean? You see where I'm going with it? We just trust and we understand. That we look at the whole narrative of Scripture, not just a certain portion of it. So let's go back to Peter. You are the Messiah. And then after Peter confesses you are the Messiah, you would think this is a really good thing. It is announcing here is Jesus, God's representative on earth. And what is Jesus' response after he says you are the Messiah? Shh. Don't tell anyone. Anybody ever get confused because frequently in Mark, Jesus, something will occur, and we've talked about this recently too, and then Jesus says, don't tell anyone. Does that confuse anyone? Seems kind of like the opposite here at the end. If you deny me, I'll deny you, but yet don't tell anyone. So with Jesus, what are we supposed to do? 
right? We can't win no matter what we do. So let's talk a little bit why Jesus might have said that, and then afterwards, Peter rebuked him. The Messiah. There are hopes of what the Messiah would do, right? This gospel, these scriptures are written to a people under Roman oppression. They are not governing themselves. Somebody else from a foreign land has come into their area and is dictating their way of life. And even their leader, Herod the Great, or Herod's son Philip, might be one of them, but he's installed by the Roman government. Does that make sense? So he's a Roman puppet, they might say. And in fact, you get the sense because now we're told this happens in Caesarea Philippi. So right there, that naming of that geographic setting is telling you who's really in charge of the area that they are in. <coughs> Philip is the son of, of uh, Herod. And so it is named for him. And eventually, Philip takes away the name Philippi and just names it Caesarea for, August, for Caesar Augustus. Does that make sense? So the Messiah then is someone who is going to come and take the Israelites out of Roman oppression. In the same way that Moses took the Israelites out of oppression from Egypt, now someone, Jesus, the Messiah, is going to do it again. So when Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? You almost get the feeling, first is Philip is like, or, or uh, Peter's like, let me tell you what other people think. Is he a little nervous to say what he really thinks? Because it's a loaded question. And the answer he gives could get him killed. So then he gives one answer, well, you could be this, you could be this, could kind of beats around the bush. And then Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And then he says, well, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus says to be quiet, because when Peter says you are the Messiah, it has all of these expectations of what will occur if that is who Jesus is. Does that make sense? A revolution is about to begin. That's what Peter is thinking. A revolution is about to begin. So Peter, Jesus says, be quiet. And then he goes on to say, the Messiah must suffer and be killed to raise again in three days. Peter's reaction is interesting. What does Peter do? Jesus, maybe you don't know this story. Didn't you hear my answer? Let me pull you aside. And he goes and he wants to correct Jesus. If you're the Messiah then there's one thing you can't do. Die. Because how are we supposed to win if our Messiah, if our leader dies? That's actually the sign of losing. That's actually the sign of losing. But maybe Jesus has a different definition of what it means quote-unquote, to win. We like to win, don't we, in this country? What starts today? 
football season. Anybody going to watch the Bears tonight? You all thought I was going to say Patriots. <laughs> Bears are on tonight, Sunday night football, 8.30 Eastern. Ed, you said Patriots played 4.30, right? Is there any better sign of how much we like to win than NFL football on Sunday afternoon? Somebody wins, somebody loses, right? We dominate the other team, the other person, the other in violent ways. And Jesus is coming and redefining what that means. What that looks like. If we're going to follow Christ, we redefine what it means to win. It does not mean to dominate somebody else. It means I'm asking myself, not what is in it for me, but what is best for you. And specifically, not just you like any other person. What is best for the marginalized? What is best for the oppressed? What is best for those who are told by the world you have little to no value? For us as followers of Christ, it means to be a voice for those people. How many people think that's a comfortable way to live? <laughs> this is what it means, we've talked about this, to pick up your cross and follow me. Oftentimes when we use that phrase, it's like something bad has occurred, right? I'm a victim of my circumstance. That's just my cross. I guess I have to bear it. We're passive when we use it in that way. Jesus was crucified not because of bad luck, because the Roman government, the Israelites, the, the Jewish leaders of the day thought, well, we just need to pick on somebody, so we're going to pick on Jesus. Does that make sense? It wasn't bad luck that got Jesus killed. It was an active life that was different than what the way of the world said should be. That is why he had to pick up his cross. Because if Jesus is Lord, who is not Lord? Caesar. Right? If we're going to follow Christ, that means... And, and Jesus is our true leader. I don't care. I'm not following what Herod says. I am not following what Caesar says. How is that received by Herod? How is that received by Caesar? But then you can also, right, so you can see why he angered all those people. But this is why he doesn't just, when he does those miracles for those who are voiceless, why he says don't just do anybody, because he's not just a vending machine. He's also not just going to take the lowly 
and now put them in charge of, <laughs> now you can do the opposite of what they were doing to you. And that's where some hope came in. Oh, maybe Christ, maybe Jesus is going to put us in charge now and they're going to, right? And when that's not going to happen, ugh, we're going to leave them also. Jesus really comes to disturb everybody. Yes, to lift up the lowly, be a voice for the voices, and that doesn't mean now we get to do to you what you just did to us. It's a really hard place. How many people like making other people angry? Yeah, me neither. But at some level, as followers of Christ, we align ourselves by Christ, not by other powers or other ways, whatever it might be. This is what it means to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. That's what it means to lose our life because, oh, I'm not sure what that looks like. I know what my other life looks like, right? I figured that out, right? I got my job, I got my retirement, I got this, you know, I got the sports, I got whatever it might be. Things are going really well. But when we're called to follow Jesus, we're called to re-examine all of that. We're called to question all of that, which can be really disconcerting. It can feel like I am lost. I don't know which way is up. This is what it means to lose our life and to find it in Christ, as opposed to not even just ignoring Christ, um, tweaking it so it's palatable, <laughs> and to doing just enough, and thinking we found our life, but in reality, maybe we've lost the way of Christ. Anybody feel like that sometimes? Constantly. Why we gather to hear the good news, to be reminded of who we are, loved, worthy, valued, with meaning and purpose. That is the gospel, that is the good news of Jesus Christ, a proclamation of who you are over and above everything else. May you hear that, may you receive it, and may we do our best to live it. Amen. That's the sermon for this week. We hope from it you learned a bit more about God's love for you and the world. Please subscribe and rate our podcast to help us be found by and reach more people. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, you are loved.